This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics. Sadly, Beth is still under the weather. So you're stuck with me today, y'all. But I have brought in some very special guests. First, we're going to continue our conversation about teen mental health with Dr. Kathleen Ethier from the CDC. And then my beloved husband, Nicholas, is going to join us for Outside Politics as we share our trip to Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, we were originally hoping to share a conversation with Marie Yovanovitch to mark the one-year anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine, which is today. However, she ended up on a last-minute trip to Ukraine. So we'll be bringing you that conversation sometime next month. We hope that her recent time in the country will make it an even richer conversation to share with all of you. Before we get started, a friendly reminder that there are lots of exciting opportunities to see us in person over the next several months. We will be at Eastern Tennessee State University on Tuesday at the Festival of Ideas, which is free and open to the public. Also, coming in the next few weeks are our trips to Texas and Orlando. We're going to be at Abilene Christian University on March 22nd and East Dallas Christian Church on March 23rd. Then we'll be in Orlando, Florida for a live show on April 5th. You can find more information about attending any of those events in the show notes or on our website. Now, on to my conversation with Dr. Ethier. She is the director of the CDC's Division of Adolescent and School Health and has been at the CDC for over 20 years. Before joining there, she spent six years on the research faculty at Yale University, and she brought an enormous amount of expertise that I can't wait for you all to hear. Now, this is a difficult topic that we are committed to revisiting here at Pantsu Politics. But as always, high-level conversations about something as big and hard as teen mental health will not be able to capture the complexities and heartbreak of all of our individual situations. So we're going to talk about what we can or should do as parents and teachers, but please, please hear me when I say this. That is never meant, never meant as a judgment on anything that's happened in your life. We feel only care and love for those of you struggling with this right now. We're only trying to find some hope and empowerment for all of us moving forward. So with that, here is my conversation with Dr. Ethier about the teen mental health survey that recently came out from the CDC. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. 
Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Dr. Ethier, thank you so much for coming on Pantsu Politics. Thank you so much for having me. Now, the new data from the CDC's Youth Risk Behavior Survey has really been everywhere, all over the news. Can you tell us first, before we dive into the results, how you take the survey? It's a survey that we've been doing every other year for more than 30 years. It is a nationally representative sample of U.S. high school students. And so they complete the survey, students in ninth through 12th grade, complete the survey in their classrooms. Mm. Um, and so we ask uh, schools all across the country that are selected to be representative of the high school students in the country if they would be willing to participate. And then young people are asked to consent. Um, we use whatever the local parental consent policies and, and laws are, we follow those. And it's anonymous. And so it, that allows us to, I think, really get a sense of what young people are experiencing and ways in which they're behaving. And they tell us things. I mean, clearly from this data, they tell us things. Um, so it gives us a really wonderful view into, in this case, more than 17,000 young people wow. in 2021. It gives us a real view into what they're experiencing. So this was in what part of 2021? This data was collected in the fall of 2021. So okay. normally, you know, the data is collected in the odd number of years. And so normally we would, you know, we would have done it in the spring and the fall of 2021. But because of the pandemic and we collect the data in classrooms, we knew that there were still many young people in the spring of 2021 who were not full time back in their classrooms. And so we did a different survey called the Adolescent Behaviors and Experiences Survey, which was online. You know, so we, we recruited schools in the same way, but young people could fill the survey out online. And you can take a look at that data as well. I think it gives a good snapshot of what young people were experiencing during the pandemic. Then we moved this data collection into the fall of 2021. But I mean, we were still really in the pandemic. It's not like we were fully out of it yet. No, I mean, we were still, I think, still experiencing the effects of the pandemic. And I think you have to take that into consideration yeah. when you think about this data. But pretty universally, young people were back in their classrooms. And so I think, um, I, I think what that means is we're not missing kids. Right. This is a representative sample of the young people in the country not impacted by who was in school or who was not in school. So you've been at the CDC for 20 years, and I'm assuming that you've looked at many, many rounds of this data. And before we get in the coverage, because there has been a lot of focus on the results from teen girls and LGBT teens, I just wonder when you first saw it before, you know, the, the coverage was sort of crafted, what stood out to you? When you sat down with this data for the first time and you thought, uh, oh, my goodness, like what stopped you in your tracks or did yeah. nothing stop you in your tracks? No, I mean, I, you know, you're right. I have been I have been looking at this data for a very, very long time. You know, my background is in adolescent health. And so uh, YRBS is kind of really the standard way that those of us who work in this area understand what's happening with young people in the country. Um, and so. I've been responsible for the division that collects the data for just over six years. And so I've been taking this deeper dive into the data um, every year for, for those six years. I was really overwhelmed when I saw this data. You know, mental health has been moving in the wrong direction for all young people mm. for the last 10 years. And so the last several rounds of this data that we've looked at, we've seen prior to the pandemic that mental health was already moving in the wrong direction. When we looked at our ABES data last year, we saw that that trend was increasing and we knew that young people were impacted by the, their, their mental health was impacted by, um, by the pandemic as well. I think what was so hard to take in about this data was both 
kind of the breadth and the depth of the, the crisis that young people are experiencing. And then, you know, unfortunately we've seen these, these same issues for LGBTQ plus young people for many years. And I, I never want to be not surprised by mm. kind of the level of violence. Or not and, affected. And not affected right. by the level of violence and, and mental health impact uh, on our, our LGBTQ plus young people. It, it is, it continues to be so difficult to see. We had not seen prior to this year, just the kind of consistent difference between girls and boys in our data that we saw in this data. So across every measure of substance use, which has been improving, you know, we've been yeah. seeing improvements over the years in, in, um, in use of substance, but at the same time, despite those improvements, girls are still using significantly are more likely significantly to use substances than, than boys across every measure of wow. substances that we measured and that was surprising. Every, except for, you know, being threatened or injured with a weapon at school, every other measure of violence, we saw this consistent difference between girls and boys. So girls were more likely to say that they didn't go to school because they were concerned about their safety. Um, they were more likely to experience both kinds of bullying. And then the, the levels of sexual violence are so disturbing for girls. And then, you know, so understandably, when we see this difference in, in not just kind of expressions of feelings, you know, so not just a, in terms of expression of, you know, of depressive symptoms or saying that their mental health was poor in the last 30 days, but then when that translates into suicidal behavior. Mm -hmm. So more girls made a suicide plan, more girls attempted suicide. Like we know that girls, um, I think, are more likely to experience mental health problems differently than boys, but behaviorally to see it come out in substance use and to see it come out in suicidal thoughts and behaviors, I think was really overwhelming. Yeah. This survey really put some hard numbers on the struggle with teen girls in particular. And that's where a lot of the conversation has been focused. I mean, you see a 20% increase in girls experience sexual violence from 2017. You see one in 10 teen girls reported that they have been forced to have sex up 27% from 2019. And then of course the suicide, which is up nearly seriously considering attempting suicide in 2021 up nearly 60% from 10 years ago. Is there any of this, you know, when I talk to the mental health professionals in my life who work with teenagers, like, is there any of this that you think is just an increased likelihood to report on the survey or because this has been an anonymous survey for so long, are you less likely to look at that likelihood? I think it's an and and not an either or. I mean, I do think that we have on, on the positive side, we have we're doing a better job giving young people the language that they need to understand and express both their kind of the state of their mental health. I think we are doing a better job helping young people and perhaps girls in particular understand when they have been sexually assaulted, mm -hmm. when they've experienced sexual violence. But I don't know, particularly around the experience of rape. I don't, I don't know that that, is enough to explain such right. a significant increase between 2019 and 2021. You know, the level of experience of forced sex has been at around between 10 and 12% for years. And I, you know, that is astounding to me that for the last 10 years, one out of every 10 teenage girls has been raped. And, and we've known that and talked about it and tried to draw attention to that. The fact that we're beyond that and that we went beyond that in two years. Yeah. So we went from something like 11% to 14%. So not only is it the case that of, you know, that every 10 teenage girls that, you know, um, one of them has been raped, probably more than one of them has been raped. And to see that kind of increase, it, it can't, just be a change in either recognition or 
ability to say that, to be able to, to articulate that that's been an experience that you've had as a, as a teenager. It's my sense that there's something else going on. Again, we don't, because we're asking questions about experiences of violence, we're not asking questions about perpetration of violence. And I think that's where our kind of understanding of what's happening for young people, we have to direct our attention. Well, and I just wonder, you know, when you're talking about a two-year period and you're talking about a two-year period during a major societal upheaval, well, what do we know? We Mm -hmm. know that during major societal upheavals, vulnerable populations suffer first and suffer most. And teenage girls are a vulnerable population, Mm -hmm. either, you know, at home during quarantine or out and about, whatever they could do during those two years, like they're just a vulnerable population. And so I think that there's some of this that we can wrap some understanding around. But I think what's hard is, you know, feeling like this population of teenagers gets a lot of focus. Like, it's so interesting to me. This survey came out as I'm reading of Boys and Men by Richard Reeves, this book about the crisis among American men and teenage boys and talking about how girls just, like, they're succeeding under all these markers in school. And what this survey tells us is, like, it's not helping. You know, like, we think that these outward markers mean one population is thriving and one population isn't. But I think what this survey shows is that even if teenage girls are, you know, increasing their proportion in STEM or, you know, going to college in greater numbers— that those markers of success do not prevent mental health challenges. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's definitely the case. What I what I want to make sure that we don't do from this data is to point toward girls or LGBTQ plus youth and say, what's wrong mm-hmm. with that? What's wrong with girls? What's wrong with right. LGBTQ youth? Because I don't, I think that that layers stigma onto yep. and pressure. what, is and pressure onto, you know, that, that becomes, especially when we're talking about sexual violence. I mean, I think that then leads to, you know, some idea that it is their fault. And I, we have to be really careful not to just stigmatize mm-hmm. on top of, um, on top of stigma. I think, you know, we don't have evidence in, in this data. And I, you know, I also, want to be careful that we're not, you know, piling on to boys here. But I think what you're suggesting and and certainly what others are writing about is that this really also kind of points to a, a crisis for boys in this country, for teenage boys in this country, and potentially for, you know, young men in this country, and that there is something happening that we have to gain a better understanding of that this, some of our findings are maybe canary in the coal mine, Mm. right? So all of the violence measures that we include in this survey and that we include in this report are measures of perpetration. And so trying to understand why our environments, whether that is community environments, school environments, home environments, appear to be increasingly aggressive, violent, traumatizing for, as you say, vulnerable populations of young people. We know from the work that we do in schools, when we make school environments less toxic, you know, when we make them safer, and when we make concerted efforts to make them safer for those most vulnerable youth, everybody improves. So some of the research that we've done has shown that schools that put LGBTQ inclusivity policies and practices in place. And so that means things like having anti-harassment policies that are enforced, uh, identifying safe places and safe people for LGBTQ youth, having clubs in place that um, help LGBTQ youth feel supported. Not only do we see improvements in mental health and reductions in suicidal thoughts and behaviors for LGBTQ youth, we see them for heterosexual youth as well. Mm. And so something about making school environments less toxic for those very vulnerable youth makes schools less toxic and more supportive for everyone. 
And so we know that like kind of trying to address those issues affects the whole population. Let's take a quick break and turn to some of the survey results about LGBTQ youth. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsestories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsy. In this data survey, we see some really alarming statistics about LGBTQ plus students, either because they're not going to school because of safety concerns, they're experiencing sexual violence, they're experiencing bullying, Almost half of LGBTQ students seriously considered attempting suicide. Nearly one in four attempted suicide. And you see these numbers. And I think what's so hard is I don't disagree with anything you just said. I hope all schools do that. But as somebody who was in school in 1999, where there was none of that, none of that. And I think it's hard to argue anything but that we have become more accepting over the 20 years in school environments and social environments and cultural environments, and these numbers aren't budging. And it's, sometimes they're getting worse. That's the frustrating part about this data. This, you know, when you come out and you say, particularly girls and LGBTQ youth are suffering, and you're like, man, we're pouring so many resources 
into this population. We identified them as vulnerable. We identified weaknesses. We identified that toxicity. We tried to open conversations about sexual assault and accepting of sexual identity, all these things. And it's getting worse. It's just, it feels hopeless sometimes. Yeah. First, let me just say one thing, and that is that in these data, we did not include a question on gender identity. So when we say in this data, LGBTQ plus youth, it's because we don't include, I mean, there are obviously young people in the survey who are transgender, but we don't identify them specifically. So that's that's why you'll see when we're talking about this data, we have added a question on gender identity for the, um, for the 2023 survey, which is in the field now. So we'll, moving forward, we will be able to address issues for those young people. So I think what I would differentiate is between what an individual school does and when a school does all of the things that I talked about, we see improvements versus kind of a broader conversation, which in some ways seems to be kind of have moved in the right direction over time. Let's also remember that we just added the questions about sexual identity and sex of sex partners in 2015. So we, you know, this, these, having these data for this population is more recent. We don't know what it looked like 20 years ago. And we don't know if 20 years ago, young people would have felt comfortable enough even in an anonymous survey, identifying as LGBTQ+. So, you know, we have to kind of put it in context. I would also say that over the last number of years, there have been um, improvements. And and then there have also been conversations that what we hear from young people are can be quite harmful. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, you know, some of our research showed that we saw really, um, this was, you know, a number of years ago, before marriage equality became accepted across the country or, or legal across the country, we saw differences between states um, where marriage equality had already been accepted versus those states where it had not been accepted in suicidal thoughts and behaviors among um, LGBTQ young people. Oh, yeah. I remember that statistic. Right. Yeah. And so I think that what that suggests is that there are still these very clear state and probably local differences in the conversations around LGBTQ inclusivity that are impacting young people. I mean, I think, I think it would be really naive to think that these very difficult and heated conversations that we are currently having about what schools can do or say to young people about who they are to kind of think that that's not affecting them right. or affecting their mental health. And so I, I absolutely agree that there is greater acceptance in many kind of areas, um, but it's not universal and it is currently continuing to affect young people's mental health. I will also say that we saw data um, in our ABES survey, which was collected in the spring of 2020 that showed that young people who identified as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or questioning were much more likely than their heterosexual peers to experience abuse in the home, Mm -hmm. both um, emotional abuse and physical abuse. And so, you know, we can't assume that despite whatever improvements we've seen, that that is, that is not still affecting young people. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with you that, I mean, wide variance. I I do wonder, though, if we don't talk about this holistically enough with that sort of multi-decade perspective, we get so focused in on the challenges in front of us that we don't articulate to young people. Like, I I think all the time about the It Gets Better campaign. I think all teenagers of all Mm -hmm. identities need to hear that. It gets better. Like, it gets better. This is, let us give you a broader perspective so that you're not consumed in a way that your brain is already predisposed to be consumed with, like, the present pressure or future anxieties um, when you're young. It's like, I do feel like there's this, this important historical past perspective to say like, hey, like we've come a long way. Like let's not get consumed with the challenges, which are absolutely in front of us and will be in front of us forever. We're never going to reach a paradise where we've solved all the anxieties for teenagers, right? Like 
But I do worry sometimes that we don't give them enough of that perspective. Yeah, I mean, I do think that that is really important. And I think creating spaces that support and affirm their identities and make them safe goes such a long way toward helping them feel hopeful. And again, you know, not to suggest that like, you know, all LGBTQ plus young people are making a suicide plan. Right, I mean, that, right, you know, right. that, no. that is, that is not the case. And, you know, I think the fact that we have an It Gets Better campaign is is the opportunity for for LGBTQ adults to say to young people, yeah, it does get better. But I but I think when you look at the level of violence Mm. that LGBTQ plus young people are experiencing on a daily daily basis. Right. So when they are more likely to not go to school because they're worried about their safety, when they are more likely to experience bullying you know, we know that experience of violence is traumatizing. Mm. We know that it has an impact on mental health right in that time period. And so it's hard to balance out the ability to, to provide those kind of sources of hope in the context of also what those young people are experiencing in their schools, you know, online, in their homes. And so Yes, I absolutely agree um, that we don't want to either present to LGBTQ young people that their lives are kind of hopeless, right. you know, or that that's what that's how they should see this, but also have to realistically look at the environments where they spend most of their time, which are school and, and home. I don't know that we have a ton of ways to impact their home environments, but we do have very clear things that we know we can do to change their school environments that will support them. And when we do that, everyone in a school feels better and does better. Mm-hmm. So I do want to talk about what schools can do. But before we get to that, you know, we have a lot of parents listening. So what are mm-hmm. those signs you're looking for as a parent? And how do you walk that line? How do you walk that line of affirming the experience without feeding the anxiety. I think that is so hard to do as a parent. Yeah. I mean, if I, I, honestly, if I was a parent, I'm not. um, If I was a parent and I looked at this data, I would be really alarmed and, you know, be trying to figure out what I should be doing. And And I would say there, there absolutely are things that, um, parents of teenagers can do. I would also suggest that there are some things that parents of younger children can mm-hmm. do um, to kind of set the stage for when their when their children move into adolescence. And so the first thing I would say is from a very early age, talking to your children about their feelings, their emotions, their kind of well-being, sets the stage for being able to talk about those things right. when they're teenagers and positively and negatively, you know, so having kids who can identify, I'm sad, I'm happy, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, being able to identify emotions and then helping children kind of negotiate through those emotions um, affirming those emotions. Yes, I can see that you're happy. Yes, I can see that you're sad. You know, what should we do about that? Those conversations making kind of emotions and, and mental health and well-being part of the things that you talk to your children about means that when you, when they become teenagers and those emotions become more complex, You've already set the stage. You've already helped them. You've already given them the language and you've already made it part of your conversation. And so I said, I, I think that that is something it, it helps take the stigma away of, you know, of a teenager needing to tell an adult that something's not right here and makes it more likely that the, the parents are going to be the ones they're going to talk to about it. So I think that's one really important thing. I think teenagers. There's, there are often, not always, but there are often kind of signs to look for changes in behavior, changes in eating patterns, sleeping patterns, you know, attending to those things are important ways to see if something is just kind of not right. 
with whether that's a middle schooler or a high schooler. Um, those are the things that you're going to start to see as being indicators that, that something's going on and making sure that you have those conversations, that you address those things when you see them. Staying engaged in your young person's school is a really good way of kind of knowing what's happening so that you're not out of the blue getting a phone call, you know, that says like this thing happened in school, right? Staying kind of engaged on a regular basis. There's also, we have a a large body of science that tells us that parent involvement, something we call parental monitoring, which is knowing where your kids are, who they're with, what they're doing, and what we call family connectedness, which is kind of the sense of, of closeness that young people feel to their family. Those are really powerful protective factors. And so um, teenagers who feel more connected to their families, whose parents or guardians are more engaged and more involved with them, who know where they are, what they're doing and who they're with, those young people tend to do better both during adolescence and then years into adulthood. Um, it changes the trajectory of, of where they go. And so, uh, you know, parents have a lot to offer in this situation and, shouldn't feel powerless to really be able to engage in their young people's mental health. Yeah, I mean, I think that the through line from what you're saying about schools and parents is what I call a sturdy presence. The only thing I would disagree with you is I wouldn't look Mm -hmm. at a kid and say, what do you think we should do about it? I would say, here's what we're going to do about it because I'm an adult and you're a kid and you're a teenager. And I want you to understand that Mm -hmm. I have confidence that we can handle this situation because that's what I see is lacking. Like, I just think that teenagers often and young kids, there's a sense of like, well, tell us what to do. Well, they don't know what to do. That's why they're freaking out. Mm. I would say, let's call it an and. Yeah. Um, Because I think, you know, it is about engagement. It is about we are in this together. Right. It's that affirming, but not leaning into their anxiety. It's hard. Listen, it's so hard to do. As a, I went to a school where there was a school shooting, and I look back with such grace on our parents because I thought, I think mm-hmm. now, like, oh, my God, they just wanted to fix it for us so badly. They just wanted to fix it. And it, it was a sense of, like, you're okay, move on, which was its own sort of damage. Whereas now I feel like we sort of overcorrected and we lean into every anxiety and say, absolutely. And it's like, it's that both and, like you have to, it's that balance of affirming, I hear you, your feelings are real, and I'm not going to try to fix it for you, because I can't fix it for you, right? I can't just walk walk in with a magic wand. I don't have all the solutions, and some of the solutions I might have could be wrong, because we're all human beings here, even as adults. But that instinct to sort of either hush, everything's okay, (laughs) Or, oh, my God, the, you're right. Everything is awful. It is hard. It is hard to find a balance, to find that both and between those two things. Yeah. And I think what you're describing is really what I would call active engagement and involvement. And that, you know, that starts really early, developing that relationship. You know, most of what we're talking about in terms of, you know, even when we talk about parental monitoring, so knowing where your kids are and who they're with and what they're doing, well, accurately knowing that requires that you're asking the right questions and that your, your kids telling you. And that a lot of that is based on kind of relationship building that starts much earlier. I would also say that, you know, the same kind of connectedness that, is really important in a family is also really important yep. in schools. And, you know, I know that that's hard to think about when we are, you know, when schools are so large and, and can feel really anonymous. And we're asking so much of them already. Yes. But I, I would also say though, that, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're, we're talking about with schools relieves burden from them mm. instead of adding, here's one more thing to do. So we're not talking about, you know, there is a place and there is, there is an important um, place for needing more mental health services in schools and layering those things in. Um, but we're not going to mental health professional our right. way out of where we are. And I think 
what we have to do is, is help schools with, with the tools that they need to deal with the crisis that they're already seeing so that we're relieving burden instead of adding burden to that. And so that means things like, you know, really helping teachers navigate through the mental and behavioral health issues that they're seeing in their classrooms. And we hear, we hear that from them all the time, you know, getting the kinds of programs into schools that really engage and connect young people, give them that sense of purpose, give them that sense that there are, there are adults who care about them and who support them. Um, and then, you know, policies and practices that keep those vulnerable youth safe. And, and so those are things that are really within the, the wheelhouse of schools they're doing anyway, um, or know that they need to do anyway. The other thing I will say is that, you know, everyone has the teacher yep. that they remember, right? Everybody has the place, whether it was the club that you were in. I was a theater kid in high school, you know, and so that was an affirming place for me where I felt like other people cared about me and cared about my well-being. That is the making sure that, you know, kind of across the board that young people have that person, that place, that environment to connect to is the thing that much like family connectedness, school connectedness has that same kind of long-term protective aspect. And so, you know, I think helping schools figure out how to make sure that they are safe for vulnerable students and that young people have a sense of connectedness and, and within kind of the, a big, often um, anonymous kind of environment that they can find the people who will support them and make them feel like they're cared for. Well, and I think it just takes so little, you know, like I, I think about my 13 year old in eighth grade and he just has a, a teacher just lets them have a and d club in her classroom after school. Mm-hmm. It's just a positive feedback. It's just a positive experience right. inside the building in the presence right. of a teacher with some of his fellow right. students. And it's like made a world of difference. That is such a small thing, mm-hmm. you know, and I think you're right. I yeah. think it it's this creating those positive experiences so they start to associate the building Mm -hmm. the people there because they spend so much of their time there with an affirming experience I think can go uh, go a long way we ask a single question in our survey um, about do you feel close to other people at school we use that as a surrogate for this sense of connectedness and we see a, a strong association between that item that that sense of connectedness or closeness and mental health, wow. pretty much everything, right? So the kids who say that they feel close to other people at school do better across the board. Interestingly, white students, male students, and heterosexual students are more likely to say that they feel close to Interesting. other people at school. And so what that suggests to us is that creating those connections, which, as you said, you know, are often, it doesn't take yeah. a lot, but we need to make some concerted efforts to reach out and connect with the young people who are feeling least connected. And so find for schools to find those ways to do that, I think we could see some great improvements if we did those. Well, I think that's a very hopeful note to end on. In summary, teenagers are just humans like the rest of us and need connection and the places they spend the majority <laughs> of their time. And so why I think the results of this data yes. can be disheartening, I think ending on that sort of fundamental thing we all really do uh, understand is really helpful. So thank you so much for coming on Pansy Politics. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it so much. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. 
Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. a special segment today outside politics with nicholas maxwell holland welcome nicholas maxwell holland hi guys i like saying your whole name like that why i don't know um nicholas is joining us today because beth is still very sick so you came here to talk with me about our trip to charlotte yes i did so we decided to fly to charlotte because Paducah just got a new carrier out of our airport we only have one airline at a time guys we yes. can only have one it's a small airport it's very it tiny it's like a somebody on instagram was like I, I know you didn't but it looks like you just got off a private jet <laughs> well you know it's like one of these the reason it's there is because we have an essential air service mm-hmm. airport which is a federal program and basically it's just subsidized Air carrier. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. And we only have one carrier at a time because— Used to be United. Right. Well, yeah, it's been various people. So it used to be United through Chicago. And and now it's Contour through Charlotte. Right. And Contour is affiliated, I guess, in some way with American Airlines. So we chose to go to Charlotte because that's where we could go from Paducah. It's a short break. It's We call it resort break. Mm-hmm. Kids had Thursday, Friday, and Monday off. Monday was the federal holiday. Yeah. So we were like, where could we go? We, we really waited till the last minute. We could not make up our minds. We were like, let's go to Charlotte because we can go to Congaree National Park. Right. Which, which is only about an hour and a half south of yeah, Charlotte. Hour and a half-ish. Yeah. As you all know, we like to check off the national parks around here yeah, in the Holland household. Them off, surely, but slowly. We're almost halfway. How short yeah. are we? I think we're at did we counted? We were at 27, and there's 64, I think, now. 64? Because our poster says 62. Is that how? Well, maybe it's 63 now. Maybe with the addition of... The Indiana Dunes. No. Is there... No, no. It was West Virginia that we just right, went to. That's right, not on the poster. Right. New River Gorge. We've been taking these, like, easy one-offs to get to. We went to Indiana Dunes. We went to New River Gorge. And we went to Congaree. It was rainy that day. It was not super exciting. It was still interesting. We have another area of southern Illinois that's very much like Congaree, this sort of like cedar trees under the water with the 
what do you call the roots that come out? Cypress trees. Cypress trees. Right, with their legs or whatever. Legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like a lowland. And um, it was you know, definitely, you know, interesting. It's it's probably better explored by a boat yeah. than kayak, um, which we didn't do that day. It was kind of cold. But we're trying to visit them all. And sometimes you visit them in off seasons. We try to visit them all. Hey. Off seasons means less mosquitoes, which are a real, real yeah. deal at Congaree. Yes. So I feel okay about that. Apparently, they also have simultaneous flashing. I do want to see that. Felix said he wants to see that. He's going to come back. Fireflies or whatever your yeah. kids call them these days. What do you call them growing up? Fireflies or lightning bugs? Lightning bugs. Lightning bugs. Yeah, that's the right one. That's right. I think I feel like. <laughs> so then we worked our way back up to Charlotte, and we stopped at Winthrop, where your two of your brothers went to college. Right, older brother, younger brother, and stumbled there. into like a for real college tour. We did. We just they were which just having a little... I was the only one that was interested in. All the rest of you were like, "What are we doing here?" No, that's not true. It I just didn't true. feel like our three children, all of our three children, none of whom is going to college in the next four years. This is when you get them. This is when you like you get the vision in their head. Felix was like, "I'm not going to college," and by the time we left, he was like, "I'm coming here for college." Right, 100. percent No, I think it's good. He took like a real journey emotionally. I had two older brothers. I was present for a mini a college tour. I was bored through all of them, but they definitely shaped what I thought I would want in a college when I decided. Winthrop was lovely. I liked it a lot. It's a very good school. It's a state school. You know, is it a state school? Yeah, I missed that part. And it's. Both my brother, my older brother, and my younger brother both went there. They were both in the same fraternity. Y'all all went to they liberal went. arts schools. Yes. I like it. I like Eckerd, that. Eckerd, Winthrop, Transit, Winthrop, Tulane. Yeah, I like that journey. And nobody paid for school. Yeah, I think that. Ridiculous. I mean, I it. The Hollands are ridiculous, you guys. I could give you more facts, like the fact that they're all Eagle Scouts. You're an overachieving bunch. Yeah. Well, your mother graduated from college at 19, so you can buy it honest. I tried. Um, okay, so then we went up to Charlotte. I got all the wrecks, and the people really came through for us. I talked Felix into, on his birthday, going to Supperland, even though he wanted sushi for his birthday, and that was the best call of the trip, in my personal opinion. 100% Supperland lived up to all the hype. You guys, I would fly from Paducah to Charlotte just to eat at Supperland, mm-hmm. and then, like, turn around and fly back, and not even feel bad about it. You liked it more than I did. You I did? Really? I it was, loved it. I mean, it wasn't life-changing. I it thought was, it was I fantastic. Wouldn't... It was very good. It was fresh. Everything was well-seasoned. It was inventive, but not, like, overly so. I just thought it was really good. It had all the points for you. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Then we went to the Mint Museum, Mm -hmm. which has a permanent fashion exhibit, which I enjoyed so much. Mm-hmm. You could see, like, Chanel from the 20s. You could see Oscar de la Renta dresses. They had some from, like, the 1700s. It was very cool. Right. I chased Felix most of the time through that. That's Felix, good for you. Felix has a very interesting way of visiting an art museum, which is... At full um, tilt. He just goes full speed through an exhibit, mm-hmm. and then sometimes he'll turn to go back and look at a few other pieces that he thought... Well, he just has to get the lay of the land first. He very much just kind of wants to see it. He's seen it. He's done. He's good to go. And he's out. And then we went to the NASCAR Museum. Yes, NASCAR Hall of Fame. Where we discovered that I'm, in fact, a NASCAR prodigy. I was third in the simulation, which I thought was very strong because everybody else there had done it before but me. <laughs> you even know Because he asked everybody to raise their hands if they'd oh, done it before. Okay. And I got third. I was very good at it. I should have been a NASCAR driver. Is it it's too late? It's interesting to me that people would want to go to that again. It's not an expensive. It's kind of an expensive ticket. It's not, babe. It's like 10 bucks. I don't know. For the simulator it is, but actually to get inside, it's like 27 okay. or something. Yeah. Right? No, it wasn't so. that bad. It was fun, though. I did not expect to have that much fun driving NASCAR, but I'm like, I would go back into the simulator again just to see if I could get my score up a little bit. Because, again, I got third in case you missed that the first time. Yeah. I mean, congratulations. Well done. Thank you. Well done. It was hard. I mean, one of the people driving was our son. <laughs> and he reset it like six times. He was so frustrated. He's like, people just kept hitting me. Yes. He was not, um, he was in the back. He was, He started off. Not great, and it kind of got worse. I mean, I thought the NASCAR Museum was interesting. I don't feel like they spent enough time on the people, like the danger of the sport of the people who have died tragically. And, but I do like... I mean, I guess we talked about that, I guess, and I I feel the same way a little bit. There's a lot of assumption that you know kind of what happened, for example, to Dale Earnhardt. I mean, it's it's hinted at, it's discussed, 
it, you know, his untimely uh, demise. And, and especially Kyle Perry. That one's really sad. He Kyle was Perry. not petty. He was 19 years old. Yes, he was very young. So sad. Yeah. But I do think all the guys, like, picking up, you can walk in this hall of fame and kind of pick up these phones and listen to all the guys' stories. And I did enjoy that. I thought it was really interesting. It is a, yeah. And guys, they're all guys. It's a hoot. They're all old white guys. They're all old white guys. Right. Yeah. But they're kind of a hoot, you know, especially if you're from the South. You'll recognize each and every one of them. Uh I did get to watch the full video about Bill Elliott, who's my favorite NASCAR driver of all time, because he's from Dawsonville, Georgia. And, um, like, had this, like, family car thing. He's awesome Bill from Dawsonville. Growing up. Oh, my God. Hearing about him all the time. Although, my I didn't really watch NASCAR as a kid. I watched NASCAR, like. You like watched NASCAR a lot when we were first were married. But, like, yeah. like But I got into it in the 90s and 2000, early 2000s. And then Felix left that museum as mm-hmm. a full NASCAR fan. 100%. And we went there on the Daytona 500, That's the right. day of the Daytona, the day Daytona 500. 500. He wanted to watch the Daytona 500 while we went to the hockey the game. game the chalky there. checkers game. And then he became a hockey fan. Felix right. is a. a Evangelical, like he just is fully He's very into whatever converted to whatever it is. I just appreciate it though. He like got a lot of like, enthusiasm. These things are cool. NASCAR is. I cool. can't Hockey imagine cool. where he gets that from. Hockey's cool. NASCAR is cool. He thinks they're cool. Like why wouldn't he be into? NASCAR? Hockey was fun. I had a, fun, a really good time at the hockey game. Beth had me very afraid that I was going to be cold the whole time, but I really wasn't. It's a lot of bodies. Yeah, of we were higher up, and we were higher up. Um, and the hockey players were cute. That you know, people people dig them. And then I got one million Instagram messages that was like, until they're missing teeth. <laughs> I don't know that they're all missing teeth anymore, though. Or at least they have good dentists. I hope you know, so. They, they, wear these, they wear these mouth guards, and they do their thing, and they protect their... And we ate at King's Kitchen, which is a nonprofit restaurant, which was a very, very cool. We went to the famous Amelie's Bakery that Charlotte is very into and proud of. And was very busy. Was very busy. People wanted to be there. But overall, I just had a delightful time in Charlotte. Charlotte treated us right. They I did. Been to Charlotte in probably twenty five years, and we had a good time there. And I like it because it's like fifteen minutes everywhere, not a lot of traffic. That's my jam. I like these mid range cities: Oklahoma City, Austin, Charlotte, where you can get everywhere in like 10, 15 yeah. minutes. I hope that's Nashville. You have lost that. You need yeah. to get back to work because it's not fun to get around Nashville anymore. Fun or easy, it's a problem. And it's not fun to get around Nashville anymore. And maybe we just got hit our Charlotte on a good weekend, but we really did not get caught up in much no. gridlock or anything like that. that you and all y'all's recommendations were on point. We appreciate it. You're the best. So I don't. I mean, so I guess I traveled before I had this, this just crowdsourcing. It's so hard. <laughs> I before this We'd amazing like, crowdsourcing. Yelp and we did up terrible places. Oh lord, yeah. No, I don't know what I did before. I could just crowdsource everything from all of you guys on Instagram. Yeah, we did a lot of Google searching, and, and yeah. sometimes we hit some duds. I mean, when we went to Paris in 2007, I basically just talked to all my friends who, like, had lived and traveled in Paris and got their wrecks, I think. I don't remember doing any internet research about that. We definitely, yeah, no, I agree. I think a lot of the restaurants. I had a spreadsheet, straight-up spreadsheet. There's something to be said for that, though, to, like, you know. There isn't. I hate that. A restaurant and not having that to be the best restaurant. I know you like to maximize. Beth does it. She wants to, like, spontaneously just walk around and find something, and it makes me nauseous. I'm not saying spontaneously, but I'm saying, like, not everything has to be perfect or the best. Sometimes Mm. you, or, like, what everybody thinks is the best, because sometimes you can happen upon Mm. little gems. I say this, and I hate. It's a lot of spontaneity in my own, in our travel. This story. is why we're good travelers. I try to, I try not to avoid that, but except when you side seat judge my travel decisions when you didn't have any part in planning. Uh, here it comes again. Y'all want to hear a marital spat? That's, That's right. That's right. <laughs> so this is about. This, this is. I've worked up to it. I found my moment. I told him on the spicy nightly nuance that he did with me yesterday that I was gonna. Uh, we were gonna comprehensively go through our marital disagreements and let Patreon weigh in on why I was right. Although I don't know if we ended up saying that because we did so many takes because <laughs> the diabetes alarm. We did seven takes of the spicy nightly nuance. It's fine. We got through it. I hope that you all enjoy it. All your patrons. Because to me, it was just 12 minutes of nonsense. Which is kind of where That's what the spicy more to say is about. <laughs> it's where we exercise our nonsense. About where we're getting to here. So yeah, well, we were wrapping up. Call it a, a day. Well, thank you so much for joining us for the Outside Politics, Nicholas Holland. Uh, of course, anytime. Beth, feel better. Please feel better. Oh, we miss you so much. Thank you for joining us. We will be back in your ears on Tuesday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all.
Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Catherine Vollmer. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Linda Daniel. Emily Neasley. The Pettins! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Amy Whited. Emily Helen Olson. Lee Shea McDonough. Morgan McHugh. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.